Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I looked up the um, historical temps for that area in June, and the average maximum daytime temperature in Olympic National Park is 63.32 degrees. And the average minimum temperature goes down to around 46.94 at night. But did you not have the third decimal point on, on those temperatures, Karen? <laughs> no. Could, that's, could you that's get a... back with us on the third decimal point? <laughs> <laughs> it talks about temperature in 0.32 degrees. I, but that's helpful. Thank, thank you, Karen, for being so thorough. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today is our monthly mailbag episode, where we answer questions from listeners about public lands, road trips, hiking and camping gear, and a wide variety of other travel-related topics. Today, we're answering two separate questions about our journey to all the national parks. Which of the national parks was a total surprise to us, and do we look back on the journey and have any regrets about things we did or didn't do? We're also talking park reservations. Is Mount Rainier moving to a timed entry vehicle reservation system? Is Mesa Verde worth visiting if you can't get a ranger-led tour ticket? And do we have any tips for catching a cancellation at a park lodge? Plus, we'll share some suggestions about places to visit along a listener's Southern Utah road trip itinerary. All these great questions and a few more coming up next. Okay, folks, before we dive into the mailbag, we wanted to mention something that's of importance to pretty much everyone who travels and has electronic devices that need to be charged. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I was flying to Portland, Maine to visit my mom. And as I was sitting in the Logan Airport charging my phone and my iPad between flights, I got an email from you. Yeah, I sent you a link to an online article that said you're not supposed to use those public charging stations. You don't want to be a victim of juice jacking. Did you know that? <laughs> well, I didn't at the time. I do now. And so I thought we would talk about this for a minute in case other people are also unaware like I was. Yeah, you're not supposed to juice up your electronic devices at free USB charging ports and stations. A lot of times you find these in airports and hotel lobbies. 
Yes. What was the FCC came out with the notice? I saw one from the FBI. Yes. Actually, after I looked into it, there were all kinds of warnings. And so this is what the FCC put this on their website. And I'll just read it. It says, cybersecurity experts warn that bad actors can load malware onto public USB charging stations to maliciously access electronic devices while they are being charged. Malware installed through a corrupted USB port can lock a device or export personal data and passwords directly to the perpetrator. Criminals can then use that information to access online accounts or sell it to other bad actors. Yes, bad actors. I know. That's how it was written. I know. And how did they know? I was going to, that's my next t-shirt is just going to say bad actor. I mean, it's (laughs) it's going to be (laughs) women's uh, fashion fit t-shirt in your size. (laughs) going to make you Uh, a t-shirt that uh, says bad actor. That's going to be a big seller. I can already tell you that right now. (laughs) Uh, I know. You know, it's your birthday present. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard that phrase since like, I don't know, maybe my grandmother. A bad actor? Bad I'm, actor. Yeah. The other term I like, and I know we're like completely skipping over the purpose of this notice, but juice jacking. Yes. I like I mm-hmm. like the term juice jacking. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll make a t-shirt <laughs> for you that says juice jacker. Okay. <laughs> I, I haven't had a lot of t-shirt designs. I think we know why now. <laughs> juice uh, jacker. All right, juice jacker. <laughs> what else we got for you? Well, I just wanted to say what I was trying to say before you hijacked the topic or should I say juice jacked it, is that when you are in a public place and you need to charge your device, it's perfectly safe to use an electrical outlet. So if you're in the airport or in a hotel lobby or in a shopping mall and and there's an electrical outlet, that's perfectly fine. Yes. So if you have your charger and your USB ports plugged into your charger, the charger's plugged into an electrical outlet, that's fine. Yes. You can't be hacked that way. It's right. where it's a USB port and you're plugging directly into it. That's that's where you get juice jacked. Right, from the bad actors. <laughs> from the bad uh, <laughs> actors. The other option, of course, what a lot of people do, is travel with a portable battery, your own portable battery. Yeah, you don't get juice jacked that way. Right. So if you have one of those, that will work well. Just remember, if you're flying with a power bank, keep it in your carry-on luggage, not your checked luggage. All right. Karen, are we done with the juice jacking? We're done. Okay. What is our first question? Okay. This one comes from Terry and Scottsdale. And the question is, dear Matt and Karen, I'm curious, what national park was more than you expected? That's such a good question. It is. It's a fantastic question. And actually, because... When we started our journey, we had been to so few national parks in our previous lifetime, the first 50 years, there were a lot of them that were so unexpected and so much better than we had thought. Yeah, most of them. Most of them. Right, right. So we can't choose just one. So what we're going to do is we're each going to choose three. Do you want to go first, Matt? Well, I I didn't know that I got an opinion. Of course you do. Yeah, I I wasn't ready to have an opinion, Karen. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. <laughs> could, could you wait just a second? I need to get my notebook because I do have some opinions. I'm but, sure you do, Matt. <laughs> yeah. And we've all been waiting for them. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to go first? 
<laughs> now you go first. All right. So my first choice is Katmai National Park in Alaska. Now I knew ahead of time that we would see the brown bears fishing for salmon in the river because, you know, there are all kinds of pictures of that. And there is a viewing platform that people stand on, watch the bears and take photos. And I thought that was it. I thought it would be somewhat like a zoo. We stand there, we see them, we take photos. What I didn't realize is that we would be walking to this particular platform, which is about a mile from where we were staying at Brooks Camp. And along the way, we would be sharing the trail with brown bears. Yeah, that was pretty surprising. It was very surprising. And we kept thinking, is this okay? They actually let people walk out amongst the, you know, these trails in the forest where there are literally brown bears walking next to you. It was unbelievable. And really, we have never uh, had an experience quite like that. No, we've never walked amongst brown bears before. Right. So, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's going to be one of my three. Do I, do I have to choose three different ones? No, 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 no. You can uh, piggyback on mine if you want. You're no. <laughs> piggyback on yours. I know this probably isn't going to be one of your choices, Matt, but everyone knows of my love for Carlsbad Caverns. It was my first time ever in a cave I thought it would be, you know, dark and dreary and musty and we'd be ducking our heads. And But then we go into this brilliantly lit, opulent fantasy land. And I absolutely loved it. And it was like nothing I had expected. So that's my number two. And my number three is Kings Canyon National Park in California. Now, on our first trip, we just went to the the part that's at the very beginning, Grant Grove, and we saw the General Grant Tree. We couldn't drive all the way back into Cedar Grove on that first visit because, I don't know, the road was washed out, I think, wasn't it, Matt? It was, yeah. yeah. So then when we went back, like five years later, we camped back in Cedar Grove. And when we drove that highway back into Cedar Grove, we were completely blown away. Yeah, that was a nice few days because there weren't a lot of people. It was a beautiful area. Really surprised at how few people were back there. Yeah, and just stunningly beautiful. It's essentially very similar to Yosemite Valley without the people. And all the infrastructure that Yosemite Valley has. So, yeah, that, that's, that's a good choice, Karen. Thank you, Matt. All right, what would you say? Well, I would, I'm going to piggyback. I'm going to piggyback <laughs> on your Katmai. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do you have uh, a two and three? Yeah. So I would say North Cascades National Park becomes more than we expected every time we visit it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little difficult to get into the park in the sense you, you really have to hike into it. But every time we do a hike in North Cascades National Park, I'm amazed at how beautiful it is once you get into the interior. Our first official visit was lame. We found a trail on a map that crossed over into the North Cascades National Park boundary after about three miles or so, but the trail was overgrown and weedy, and we weren't even sure when we had entered the park because there was no sign. But since then, we've hiked most of the trails in the park, and we've backpacked a few as well. So I would say that. What else? Crater Lake, as much as there's a lot of hype before you go, I, I think when you stand on the rim and look over into the lake, it's similar to the Grand Canyon. You can't describe it to anybody. You just have to go there and see it. So yeah, there, there's a lot of them. I, it's hard to choose three, but I would say those North Cascades, Crater Lake, Katmai, those are three of them that were more than I expected. Yes, I would agree with all of those. But again, I think almost every park was more than we had expected. Expected. 
Okay, well, what's our next question? Okay, this one comes from Michelle, and she wrote, since you have been going to all the NPS sites, do you have a separate passport for the national monuments and national memorials, etc.? My passport is getting full, and now I'm kind of regretting not getting two passports, one for the national parks and one for everything else. Yeah, Michelle, I can uh, sympathize with your obsessing over the passport books. If you go to a lot of NPS sites, you're going to fill it up. Yes. And I don't know that I would create separate books for the national parks versus the national monuments, uh, but I did figure out a way to cut pages out of a new passport book and slip them into one so that they're all in one book. Yes, and you did that years ago, kind of old school, before they actually came out with the Classic Expander Pack. The Expander Pack. <laughs> yeah, we actually have Expander Packs. They're they're more for, they're like a belt that we use with our pants. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, this one is for your National Park Passport book. It only costs $5. It's got about 20 pages in all. 16 pages are for National Park cancellations. And I guess, now we haven't tried this one, but they say that the pages slip in very easily. Yeah, they stole my idea. They did steal I your did idea. The old school razor blade method, uh-huh. and they just, uh-huh. maybe that's a patent violation. <laughs> I would have to first patent it, wouldn't I, for them to violate it. That's but, right. Yeah, get your old expander pack. And yes. So that's what Matt's been doing. That's what I've been doing. Yeah, that's what I've been doing all these years. Yeah, that's what he's been doing because we did not buy uh, two separate passport books in answer to your question. But it is a thing because there are certain areas of the country where there are so many NPS sites that the book does quickly fill up. Anyway, we will put a link to where you can buy the classic expander pack. We'll put that in our show notes. And it might be sold in some of the you know national park stores. I've, I've never centers. seen these. I haven't either. I, well, I've only seen them on the America's Parks website. So I don't know if they're available in the retail stores. We'll have to check that out next time we're in a visitor center bookstore. Yes, we will. All right. Okay, our next email comes from Christy, and this is about her specific itinerary, and I will read this and we'll just share a few thoughts about this. Uh, My husband and I are taking our two kids on my dream vacation to see the Grand Canyon. We're starting in Las Vegas, making our way through Utah's five national parks and Dead Horse Point State Park. My question is, when we leave Dead Horse Point State Park and begin heading towards the south rim of the Grand Canyon, we wanted to see the Four Corners, Forest Gump Point, for a senior photo, and Monument Valley. There are so many other sites along this stretch. What route would you take if you only had one day of driving in this area? We're planning to camp near Navajo National Monument that first night after we leave Dead Horse Point and drive the rest of the way to the Grand Canyon the next morning. We will also be driving a rental camper van that isn't supposed to go on rough roads. Okay, a lot of parts to the question there. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a lot to see as you go from Dead Horse Point State Park to the Grand Canyon, but your rental camper is going to restrict you somewhat. Right. So let's talk about a few suggestions of what you could do. So I mapped it, and this is what we always do. We try to figure out how much extra time we have. So from Dead Horse Point to Navajo National Monument, it's a four-hour drive. That's driving time. 
And since you want to go through Monument Valley, your route is very straightforward. You're going to take Highway 191 south from Moab, just past the town of Bluff, Highway 191 turns south, and you don't want to make that turn. You want to stay straight on Highway 163 to Monument Valley. Since it's going to take you four hours, that's going to leave you with roughly five to six hours to fill, you know, depending on how late in the day you want to stay out. Yeah. If we were going from Dead Horse Point State Park uh, and make our way to the Grand Canyon, I don't think I would add four corners to the route. There's nothing wrong with four corners, but there's not a lot to see right at the four corners. I mean, it it is the point where the four states come together, which is kind of fun that you can stand right there and, you know, be in all four states and in a matter of a 10 foot circle, but it would be a lot of driving to, to make a detour over there. It's, it's kind of more a, a place that you would go if let's say you were already at Mesa Verde National Park, and then you were going over to, let's say the Page area or driving down to the Grand Canyon, then, then it's kind of on the way and it's worth a stop. I don't know that it's worth the detour over there. I agree. And so I mapped this from Dead Horse Point to Navajo National Monument through Monument Valley. And the Four Corners Tribal Park is in the opposite direction. So if you want to go there, you know, maybe you want a picture of your family standing in all four states, it will take you an hour each way out of your way. So it's going to take you an extra two hours to go over to Four Corners. We would choose not to do that. But of course, that is that is for you to decide. Yeah. And if you haven't seen enough of the Utah National Parks, on your way, you could visit the Needles District of Canyonlands, which is a lot different than the Island in the Sky District. We love the Needles District. And on the way to the Needles, you can make a stop at Newspaper Rock, which is one of the largest collections of petroglyphs in the country, and they're all right there on one large panel. It's a very short stop, and it's right on the highway, but it's a great sight to see. It's about 15 miles west of US-191 if you're going towards the Needles District. It's very cool to see. And again, it's a very quick stop. You pull in the parking lot, you get out, you take some photos, but it's definitely worth a stop. And once you're in Needles, you could stop and do a short hike. The Slick Rock Trail is about 2.4 miles. It's an easy hike. Uh, If you're doing this as a drive on your way down to Monument Valley, I don't know that we would suggest necessarily doing the Chesler Park hike uh, because, well, for one, the road to the Elephant Hill Trailhead, uh, that's fairly rough. And then the hike itself is its going to take you many hours to do that hike. So I don't know you could fit it in that day. I agree. But the Needles District is spectacular to see. The drive to the Needles, once you get off 191, is beautiful. You could stop in the visitor center there uh, and talk to them about other hikes. You know, let them know about your camper van that you can't drive on the dirt roads because there are a lot of dirt roads out there. and, And they might suggest something in addition to Slick Rock Trail. But this would be a great stop. This would, you know, take a few hours to do this whole thing, but definitely worth it. Yeah, another thing you could do, and this is south of the area where you would turn off to the Needles District of of Canyonlands National Park, you are going to go very close by Goosenecks State Park. And this is a quick stop. I mean, you're only going to be there, gosh, 15, 20 minutes, really. But it's uh, an incredible overlook. 
It's a thousand feet above the San Juan River. It has essentially, it's really, it's a double gooseneck too. Areas where the river, it bends back on itself and it's just an incredible overview and, and sight. And yeah, it's, I, I think it's paved all the way back there. Yeah, it's a good road. I think it costs, last time we were there, it cost $5 to get in. Definitely worth a stop. Now, right next door, basically, to Gooseneck State Park is Valley of the Gods. And it's a dirt road that runs through these very scenic buttes. And usually we tell people to drive through Valley of the Gods, but it is a fairly rough dirt road. So again, if you have restrictions with your camper van, we would, you know, we wouldn't tell you to do that. Also, Moki Dugway's right there. It's a three-mile-long section of road with steep switchbacks. They're about 11% grade. And it was carved into the face of a cliff on Cedar Mesa. It has about a 1,200-foot rise in elevation as it winds its way up to the top of Cedar Mesa. I think it's smooth enough to drive a camper van, but you'll have to decide for yourself. But that's kind of a fun drive, and that wouldn't take very long to do. Right, that's very close to Goosenecks. There is a sign posted there, however, that says it's not advisable for RVs over 28 feet. Okay, so you mentioned Monument Valley Forest Gump Point to get some senior photos. It's a great idea. That is a very quick stop. You will see the the area most likely because there's cars pulled over, people standing in the road, and very scenic. So, you know, that will be on your way. Very easy to do. Yeah, you'll know when you're at the Forrest Gump point because there will be um, a family of 12 standing in the middle of the highway with (laughs) their seven dogs taking a a formal photo while cars are driving 50 miles an hour past them. So that you'll know when you're there. Right. So watch for cars. Now, you had mentioned Monument Valley. I'm assuming you mean the specific tribal park. So that's a turnoff in Monument Valley to go into the tribal park. There is a fee. It costs now $8 per person. We think it's worth what would be for you guys $32 to get in. What do you think, Matt? I think so, uh, mainly because if you drive to the visitor center, and that's all paved to the visitor center, I think the patio that's right outside the gift shop, I think that's the best view of the valley. Uh, and it's super convenient, uh, great for photographs. The gift store is great, has a, a lot of uh, Native American items. And also you're right there by the Wildcat Trail that goes around one of the mittens. I think it goes around the West Mitten, and a mitten is one of these buttes that are right there in the valley. That's a fun little hike that wouldn't take that long to do. I mean, that hike would probably take maybe a little bit over an hour. Yes. Yeah. It'd be a good uh, a good time to stretch your legs. It's fairly easy, fairly flat, great views. Now, you will not be able to do that scenic loop drive that's inside the tribal park because it is a very, very rough road. However, we wanted to give one more suggestion that I've read about. We have not done this, so but I just wanted to throw this out there. One thing you could do is there are all kinds of tour options for Monument Valley. You can take a four by four tour with a local Navajo guide. Now, I was looking at one that had, you know, 35 five-star reviews. It 
This particular one cost about $63 a person for a two and a half hour tour. There are longer tours, the prices vary, but basically on these tours, the Navajo guides take you places that most visitors cannot access. A lot of them, you see the inside of a Hogan. A lot of them, you they take you to ancient ruins and places you can see petroglyphs and pictographs. So I think that would be a very cool thing to do. You can get on places like TripAdvisor, Google it, read people's reviews and see. But the thing is, after you have spent all this time in your camper van, not going on any back roads, it might be fun for you and especially your teenagers to be in a four by four and go out into the backcountry on some of these um, backcountry roads. What do you think, Matt? I think that sounds like a, a good idea and a fun thing to do. We just never built in enough time to do that when we're there. But uh, yeah, I, I could see doing that. Put that put that one in the bucket. Yeah. And as always, the local people, especially on the Navajo Nation, they know all of the good places to go. They have access to places that um, visitors do not. So you might look into that because that would be a good way. If you don't want to go to the Needles District, this would be another option that would take, you know, up three or four hours of, of your afternoon once you got there. Okay, and so at the end of that day, then you're driving to what? Uh, Navajo National Monument? Mm -hmm. Yes. And camping there. It's a little bit of a detour off the main highway to, to get to the monument. Right. Yeah, and that's a that's a beautiful area back there. Well, yeah, and that's obviously a good place to check out as well. It won't take you very long to hike the couple of short trails in Navajo National Monument. There's a great one to an overlook. Um, so, you know, in the evening when it's cooler, you could also check that out. All right, so day two, you're leaving uh, Navajo National Monument on your way to the Grand Canyon. Uh, a lot of open highway. It's it's. I think it's beautiful country. I love the desert, um, but not a lot of stops until you get to the Cameron Trading Post, and that's a fun place. I know it's very touristy, but I love all the Native American artwork that they have. It's a great place to have lunch. It's a good place to take a bathroom break. And we love the Navajo fry bread. Probably not the healthiest thing you could eat, but uh, I mean, heck, you're on vacation, so eat whatever you want. But <laughs> yeah, I think I get the hamburger that's on the Navajo fry bread, best hamburger I've ever had. I know. It is really good. And the thing is, we get it to go. We don't sit inside the restaurant. We get it to go. And then there are some picnic tables right by. There's a, a little lodge that sits right there by the big gift shop. And so we sit at picnic tables. It's lovely. Definitely stop in there on your way. Now, one more thing we wanted to mention. You know, if you have extra time, you know, this is taking away from your time at the Grand Canyon. So, you you know, you'll have to figure out if you want to do this. But you could drive to Wupadki National Monument. Now, this is south of your turnoff into the east entrance of the Grand Canyon. So you'd have to then backtrack back when you're finished at Wupadki. But this is a great national monument. There are pueblos that are scattered throughout the monument. But the big one, the Wupadki Pueblo, is located at the visitor center. I love that park. Mm -hmm. um, it's a national monument. But I, again, like I said, I love driving through the desert. And you get out there and kind of in the middle of nowhere, you have this incredible large Pueblo and these ruins there that you can walk around. And it, I think it's worth uh, the detour. I do too. What was that blowhole thing that you and, and uh, our brother-in-law, Carl, there were obsessed with? <laughs> 
I guess that? there are some caverns <laughs> below that land, and you know, there's some natural entrances, and there is one particular that's right by. There's an ancient, for lack of better description, like ball field or lacrosse field that the uh, ancient Puebloan people built, and and right by that, there's a natural entrance to a cavern that they have rocked over and put a grate so that no nobody falls in. It's it's not a big hole. I mean, it's, I don't know, maybe a couple feet uh, in, in diameter, but cool air blows out of it. And we were there one day when it was hot outside and it was like this big air conditioning unit blowing cold air because as the air pressure inside the cavern is greater than outside, it, it blows cool air out. And so the thing to do is <laughs> you try to Put your hat over the hole and have it just be suspended in air as the air is coming out. And mm-hmm. that's very difficult to do, but but we spent <laughs> lots of time trying to do that. Great fun for kids of all ages. And this is located at the big Wupatki Pueblo. So very cool to see if you have the time to do that. Last thing we're going to mention is, so when you go in the east entrance, make sure you stop at the overlooks. Once you enter the park, you're you're going to be on the Desert View Drive portion of Highway 64. And it's a scenic road that runs along the canyon rim for about 23 miles or so. Yeah, there are six developed canyon viewpoints along the rim road, and I I think they're worth stopping at all of them. Yeah, my favorite, I think, is the Desert Viewpoint. Of course, you have the Desert View Watchtower there. And it's one of the few places where you can actually look down and see the Colorado River. Yeah. And when we were on the Colorado River, we actually, when we were at that little stretch of the river, we could look up and see the Desert View Overlook. Yes. Yeah, yes. That was kind of cool. It was very cool. All right, Christy. Well, it sounds like this is going to be a bucket list trip for you. And uh, we hope that you have a wonderful time with your family on this, uh, this epic road trip. Yeah, that'll be a great trip. This episode is sponsored in part by Rumpel. Rumpel is introducing the world to better blankets with their full line of durable, premium, ultra-warm outdoor blankets and gear. We never leave home without them. The original puffy blanket is made using recycled polyester and insulation that packs down small in its own bag for easy storage and -and grab-and-go adventures. I like them because Rumpel pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a DWR finish that's water, stain, and odor-resistant. But when you do spill coffee on yours, I can throw it in the washing machine when we get home, and it's good as new. Rumpel blankets are the best way to stay cozy and warm on any adventure. Whether you're traveling across the country or picnicking at your local park, Rumpel has you covered. Literally. Shop their line of over 140 prints and designs, including their national park collection, at rumpel.com forward slash Bob and Sue, and use the code Bob and Sue for 10% off your first order. That's R-U-M-P-L dot com slash Bob and Sue. All right, Karen, what is our next question? Okay, this one comes from Lisa in Northern Virginia, and she wrote, Do you have any advice or tips on snagging an NPS lodge cancellation? We will be visiting your Washington National Parks this August. We have lodging booked outside the parks, but we keep looking for inside the parks in case anything opens up. Matt, you're kind of the king of that. You're always the one who looks for our National Park Lodge cancellations. We do have some tips on how to get a cancellation, but just keep in mind that it's it's not a guarantee. You do have to have 
flexible plans because sometimes you, you can't catch the cancellations. One thing is when you call or if you're using the website, uh, look at when the cancellation date runs out. In other words, um, you know, if the log says you can cancel with no penalty up to seven days before, something like that, then you know that seven, eight, nine days ahead, everyone who's going to cancel they're going to usually cancel right at that deadline. And so uh, whenever you get seven days out, let's say, from, from the date you want to stay, that's when you want to check the website or call every 10 minutes like I do. And of course, every hotel has its own cancellation policy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one way to catch cancellations. Another way is, and you have to be super flexible with, with your plans, uh, we have found Almost always, the day of the stay, people just don't show up. And if you sit there and wait, the front desk usually can find a room for you. But if they can't, then what do you do? Right. That's a lot tougher. What we usually do is we book something else while we're trying to catch these cancellations inside the park. So we'll book something outside the park. And typically, when you book a chain hotel, a Hampton Inn or a Holiday Inn or whatever, typically, the cancellation is maybe 24 hours ahead of time. So that's pretty good. So you you have up to that point to try to um, get a cancellation inside the park. But the day of is tricky because where are you going to go if you don't get that uh, you don't get that cancellation? Yeah, yeah, and we usually don't have an answer to that until it occurs to us that we're homeless and, and we have no place to stay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's that's when we <laughs> usually start figuring out that problem. Yes, but I got to say, Matt usually calls every day. It's like on his list. He just picks up the phone and calls to see if there's a cancellation, and you probably get one ninety percent of the time, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I called multiple times. Yeah. Anyway, good luck. I think it's kind of a numbers game. The more often you call, the better your chances. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, Karen, do you want to pull another letter out of the mailbag? Okay. This question comes from Katie in Miami, Florida. We are staying at Lake Quinault Lodge in Olympic National Park for three nights in June, and I just found out that the lodge doesn't have air conditioning. I'm wondering if we should cancel this reservation and look for something else because we can't sleep in a hot room. How bad do you think it will get there in June? Uh, that might not be the problem you have to deal with. <laughs> you might have to be asking for extra blankets right. at the front desk. And of course, as soon as we say that, there'll, there'll be a heat wave. I don't think you really need to worry about heat in June at the Quinault Lodge. It's, I mean, it is a rainforest. Um, it could be a rare heat wave. That could happen. But no, it's it's more likely to be on the cool side. I looked up the um, historical temps for that area in June, and the average maximum daytime temperature in Olympic National Park is 63.32 degrees, and the average minimum temperature goes down to around 46.94 at night. Did you not have the third decimal point on, on those temperatures, Karen? <laughs> no. Could, that's, could you that's get a... back with us on the third decimal point? <laughs> I'll do a little more research on that. Who <laughs> talks about temperature at 0.32 degrees? But that's helpful. Thank, thank you, Karen, for being so thorough. In fact, make sure that you pack a light jacket or maybe some layers with long sleeves because it definitely could be cool. We don't think you're going to have a problem in June 
over on the Olympic Peninsula. It should be nice and cool at night. You can open your windows. Yeah, even, again, a rare situation where they're, they're having a heat wave. I don't think it's going to be hot at night. Right. right. Uh, yeah, so I, I think you're going to be okay. Yes. But when you're booking, you know, historic properties and Airbnbs, it is good to check ahead of time whether there's air conditioning because a lot of them don't have it. Yeah, we feel the same way you do, Katie. We can't sleep at night when it's hot. I can't. I know. I get... and, and some people get cranky. I do, I do not get cranky. It's, are you referring to yourself as some people? That's odd. I've never heard somebody refer to themselves as some people. <laughs> okay, another question about one of our Washington parks comes from Annie in Bloomington, Illinois. And she wrote, I just read an article that said that Mount Rainier National Park is proposing a timed entry reservation system. We will be visiting there in July. And now I'm worried that we won't be able to get into the park. Do you know anything about this? Karen, you do know something about this, <laughs> don't you? Because you, you scour the National Park News about every couple hours. Yes. And I have to say, when Matt Rainier National Park announced this a few weeks ago, I was shocked. Only because I know this is the trend now, right? Because parks are getting so crowded that more and more are going to these timed entry reservation systems. But for some reason, I just didn't see this one coming from Mount Rainier. Oh, yeah. They're, I think they've opened public comment period. Yes. Uh, I, I can just imagine what the locals are saying. Yes. And by locals, I mean us. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I know every <laughs> national park has locals, right? But the people in the state of Washington are not going to like this at all. I mean, Mount Rainier National Park just feels to people here, it just feels like home. Right. You know, it feels literally like your backyard and I should be able to go in there anytime I want and all, all of this. So I have a feeling that if they're soliciting public opinion, it's going to happen. Right. However, to put your mind at ease, Annie, it is not going to happen this summer. You will be fine. There's no way that they can get this approved and up and running by this summer. We're already practically in the season. So if it happens, which I think it will too, it will be next summer, uh, summer of 2024. Yeah, they, they won't do it so fast that they would implement it in 2023. Right. All that being said, look, I mean... <laughs> We would be somewhat dismayed, too, because, again, we just like to wake up on a summer morning and go over and, and hike in Mount Rainier. But we absolutely see the need for it because this park has become extremely crowded. And, you know, if, if you don't get there at 6 a.m., if you show up mid-morning, I've seen photos of the lines at the entrance booths, and it's backed up for miles and miles. Yeah, it's just the reality of the, the situation now. I mean, the, yeah. these parks are so popular. Uh, a lot of people are there, and they, they just have to control the crowd somehow. And next summer, if it goes into effect and we're crying in our beers, we'll just have to remember that it's the best thing for this park that we love so much. But for you, for this summer, Annie, you, you will be fine. All right, Karen, uh, do we have any more questions? We do. This one comes from Angela in Meridian, Idaho. Uh, and she writes, my husband and I were planning to visit Mesa Verde at the end of May as part of a longer trip. And I'm so disappointed because I wasn't able to get Ranger-led tour tickets. I got online a few minutes before they went on sale and they were all sold out within a minute. Do you think it's still worth visiting Mesa Verde if we can't do any of the Ranger-led tours? 
Hmm. Well, first of all, I, I don't know what the situation is there for cancellations, and I probably wouldn't go all the way there, assuming that there, you're going to have some no-shows and get ticket cancellations, because you could be literally sitting at the visitor center all day and, and, and not get any. I don't know that the park is worth seeing if you can't tour the ruins. Well, I agree, especially this particular summer, because there are some other things that are going on. First of all, Spruce Treehouse was a self-guided tour, and that's been closed since 2015 due to rockfall danger. Um, they have to go in, I guess, and stabilize some arches and things so people aren't you know, hit by falling rocks. So that's been closed for a long time. And the Weatherill Mesa area, it's going to be closed in 2023 due to construction work. Right. And also there will be construction happening on the main park road throughout the 2023 summer season. And there will be delays of up to 30 minutes. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of limitations on what you can see, especially if you don't get tickets. Now, one thing I did want to say, you know, when we went to Mesa Verde, I think we've been there three or four times, it used to be before they switched the sale of the tickets to the recreation.gov website, it used to be you could not buy them in advance, you would just show up at the visitor center, um, get your tickets for either that afternoon or the next day, and there was never a problem. Right. And now people are saying, and we've heard this a lot, that the minute they go up for grabs on recreation.gov, they are gone. I don't get it. We were looking at visitation for the last decade, and in 2022, Mesa Verde reported just under 500,000 visits compared to about 550,000 in 2021, a nearly 9% drop. Yeah, their visitation is going down. Yeah, so what's going on there? And when we went in 2010, they had about 559,000 visitors. When we went again in 2014, they had about 500,000 visitors. And in 2019, they had 556,000 visitors. So if the visitation to the park isn't increasing, then it's curious why people are finding it so difficult to get tickets with this new reservation system, right? Yes. Now, I think one thing might be for anybody who's listening and trying to get any kind of reservations on recreation.gov, I think one of the things that happens is multiple people in the same group, like a husband and a wife, will get on the second they go up and they'll both get tickets just to make sure, right? And then one of them cancels them or takes them out of their cart. So even though it looks like they're sold out in the first minute or two, if you try back in an hour or two hours or the next day, there are likely to be tickets available. Yeah, and that has happened to us. We check a thing that we want to go see, and there's, you know, they're all sold out, and we just keep checking, and every now and then, availability pops up. So you're not necessarily nixed out if everything gets sold out right in the first few minutes. Right. And so for any of you who are going to Mesa Verde this summer, um, those of you who have tour reservations, just know that... All of these tours, the, the place where you start, are at least an hour's drive from the park entrance. And you need to be at your tour checked in at least 15 minutes ahead of the start time. 
and you could run into 30-minute construction delays. So just plan accordingly. Make sure you check how long of a drive you have to get to your tour um, so that you don't show up and they have left without you. You need to give yourself plenty of time to get to wherever they're staging for that particular tour because they, you know, they will leave without you. So Angela, in summary, our our answer is if you cannot get tour tickets, and again, keep checking the website. If you can't, though, we would probably skip this park, at least this particular summer. Okay. All right. I see one last question. Yes. On the outline, Karen. One last question. And this one comes from Phil in Colorado Springs. And he wrote, what is the biggest regret you have when you look back at your journey to all the national parks? I'm planning to visit all of them too. And I would appreciate learning from your mistakes. If you made any. <laughs> if, if, we made, oh if we made any. <laughs> How much longer do we have on this one? This might take a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we certainly don't regret doing it. Oh, no, no. And, you know, anything you do, you're going to learn along the way. If you do it for the first time, if the 10th time you do something, you're going to be a lot better at it. So um, I appreciate trying to learn from other people's mistakes. So you make the the most of it. Well, a, a couple, I think one, we were very focused on getting to a particular destination and we were focused on the national parks. And I guarantee you, we drove right past incredible sites and places and experiences that we could have had because we wanted to get right to that park. So I would encourage you to see what else is around that particular park or destination and add on other things to do when you're visiting a park that might be in and around. Absolutely. Because you're spending all this money anyway to get to all these parks, you might as well take a little extra time, plan ahead, see what else is around there. Because we missed a lot of great state parks and national monuments and and uh, Bureau of Land Management sites, all kinds of stuff on that first go around that we have since been making up for. Another thing uh, we didn't do as well as we could have, is we didn't research the destination we were going to. Here's a perfect example. When we went to Great Smoky Mountains, we didn't visit the Cades Cove area, which is one of the top destinations in the park. I still don't know how we missed that. I don't know either. I think that happened to us with other parks that we had to travel quite a distance to get to. Well, yes, as I've said before, and I'm still not over it, when we went to Cuyahoga Valley National Park, the one thing I wanted to do was was ride the scenic train through the park. And of course, we're there on a Monday and Tuesday in the summer. And guess what? The train didn't run on Mondays and Tuesdays. I'm still not over that. Still haven't had a train ride in Cuyahoga. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there are a lot of examples of that. I think another one would be uh, we knocked off a little early at the end of the day, four or five o'clock in the afternoon, we went to a restaurant or a bar to ha have dinner and relax when we could have been in the park, spent more time in the park, and especially spend time in the park during sunset. And the thing that changed that for us is when COVID hit and all of the restaurants and places like that were closed except for takeout. And so we would start getting takeout, going into the park with our camp chairs and having our dinner in the park. And I have to say, this became one of our favorite things to do because, as a lot of people already know this, 
when the day trippers leave the national parks, it's much quieter. And of course, the lighting is beautiful. And a lot of times the wildlife comes out at night. So the evenings are one of the absolute best times to be in a national park. And that first go around, we missed a lot of that. So now we are also making up for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, another thing, Karen, is we didn't camp or backpack because we were soft and weak. (laughs) Both of those. (laughs) And we kind of started doing that after we went to all the national parks and 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 we've been to we've been back to a lot of the national parks since and have camped and backpacked since but that would have been i think a more intimate experience for a lot of places we went we have really enjoyed the time that we have been in the national park campgrounds or um, out in the wilderness backpacking Again, seeing these places as the sun goes down and then again as the sun comes up in the morning and the wildlife is is a completely different experience. Now, I know for a lot of people and for us too, when you are flying to parks, then it's it's very difficult to take your, your camping stuff, right? But if you have parks that you're driving to and Phil, you in Colorado Springs, <laughs> I don't know if you're already a camper, but you would have a lot of, of national parks not far from you. And you could throw your camping gear in your car and head out if that's something you'd want to experience. So that's another thought. Right. And you can, if you plan it well enough, you can check your big backpack if you're going on a backpacking trip and have to fly. We did that when we went up to Alaska. We hiked the Chilkoot Trail. And yeah, we packed up our big overnight backpacks and put them in bags that you can check on an airline. And so you can do it. It's a little more difficult, but uh, yeah, yeah, you can do it if you plan it properly. So, Phil, those are enough to get you started. Right. Don't do those things. Right. <laughs> and you'll be fine. You'll you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. Yes, you will. I mean, it's, it's the journey of a lifetime, and it really is life-changing. We came out of this experience completely different people than we went into it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We, we look different. Um, older. Yeah. Older and wiser. We, knew, we need expander packs for our belts. <laughs> we are older. We're definitely older. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Uh, But happy journey to you, Phil. Okay, so that wraps up our mailbag. Now, if you have a mailbag question for us, please send it to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. And just one note, if you are asking um, our opinion about a particular national park itinerary, it's very helpful if you tell us what month you're going to this park because there are different activities available or not available depending on time of year. And the other thing too, if you tell us um, whether or not you like to hike and how far you like to hike because you know that makes a difference to us as far as what we would recommend. Yes, the details help because not everyone likes to do the same things we do. And if we don't have the details, we're just going to assume you're like us and you're going to go to the bar at four o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> and, and, and sit there during sunset. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us today. We have a lot of great episodes coming up in June and none of them involves the phrase juice jacking. <laughs> oh, but can you really promise that? <laughs> well, yes, I can. Yes, I can. <laughs> Since you're the one who does all the editing. Yes. I'm going to slip in juice jacking in a way that you can't possibly edit it out. Good luck. <laughs> okay. If you're not following us yet on Instagram, check out our account at Matt and Karen Smith. 
We post a lot of photos and videos of places we talk about on this podcast there. Hope you all have a happy summer and we will see you in June.